we want to look at baptism. And the assumption is most of us in this room have been baptized. Uh, but at the same time, we don't assume that all in this room have been baptized. And so we want to look at the Bible, see what the Bible says about baptism. Let that inform how we as a church practice baptism and observe baptism. Uh, and then individually, as, as a Christian, as a follower, uh, to maybe reflect on that time when you were baptized, if it was just a couple years ago or it was when you were a child, uh, if it was when you were an infant or something like that, we probably need to have further conversation, uh, as we'll see in just a minute. Um, and we'll just ignore the train horn that's blowing past the glass doors that provide no sound buffer. Uh, Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to start. We've been in Acts chapter 2 for a couple weeks now, and so we'll pick up there with some of this uh, activity of the, of the early church. So the Bible gives us two observations, uh, two observances, uh, often they're called ordinances, to remind us of the work of Christ. Last week we looked at the Lord's Supper and taught through the text on the Lord's Supper, and today we're looking at baptism. These two, these two ordinances that the New Testament church has to declare who we are in Christ, to declare the finished work of Christ. And so we said last week about the Lord's Supper, we want to approach the Lord's Supper rightly and carefully and accurately. And we want to do the same with baptism. We don't want to be casual. We don't want to just run people through water just for the sake of running people through water. We want to look at the Bible, see what the Bible teaches us about baptism and help us to understand uh, biblically what baptism means and the significance of uh, baptism. Now here's, the, here's, here's one of the primary differences between the Lord's Supper and baptism. All right. As we looked at last week, the Lord's Supper is a regular reminder and declaration of what God has done for us in Christ. So the Lord's Supper is that ordinance that we observe often. And so a part of our regular rhythm as the church, collectively, is to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Baptism, however, is that one-time public declaration of repentance and faith in Christ. And so where we, we, we take the Lord's Supper together often, regularly, uh, baptism is not the same. We, you, baptism is a declaration of new life in Christ. And so look at uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 37. We're going to be kind of all over the New Testament th- th- this morning, so keep your Bibles handy. Uh, but this is what we see as the church is beginning to form there in Acts 2. So Acts 2.37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? So remember, uh, the Holy Spirit had come on the church, And Peter stands up and preaches the first Christian sermon and basically tells everyone, it's your fault that Jesus died. And so they're cut to the heart. And they ask, okay, what do we need to do? And so Peter says, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized. And they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so we see this as the church is forming, this Peter saying, Repent and be baptized. And then in verse 41, as Luke is recording what's happening in that moment, he says that day, those who received his word, those who expressed repentance and faith toward Christ, were baptized. Three, about, around 3,000 people at that point. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask just some basic questions like what, why, when, those kinds of questions to help us understand uh, a doctrine of baptism. So the first question is, what is baptism? What is, 
actually, what is baptism? Uh, a definition would be, baptism is a spiritually symbolic act by which a Christian declares their new life in Christ. So baptism is the visible demonstration that we have declared a new allegiance with our lives, allegiance to Christ. We're dead to our former way of living, sin and flesh and self, and we've been made alive with Christ. We are now identified with Jesus. Now, just before we look any further, a word of clarification. Uh, Baptism is not necessary for salvation, to be clear. One does not have to be baptized to be saved. Baptism, however, declares salvation. And so this is not some type of dedication. So when we baptize Will, when we baptize Jimmy in just a few minutes, we're not dedicating them to the Lord. They already belong to the Lord. We're simply declaring to the church and to the world that which is already true. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, not in baptism alone. And so just a practical example is Jesus is there dying on the cross and the thief, one thief is mocking him. The other thief says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He doesn't say, hey, would somebody run out and grab a bucket of water? We need to baptize this guy so we can enter into the gates of heaven. No, he says, this day you will be with me in paradise. So we know it's not necessary for salvation, but it is necessary for obedience, as we'll see in just a minute. And it's a declaration of our salvation. So back to the question, what is baptism? Baptism identifies our union with the life of Jesus. In Acts, we see this phrase when people are baptized in the name. You, you see it there in, in verse 38, Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. You go further into Acts chapter 8. We read the statement, at eight sixteen. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Chapter 10, verse 48. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. 19.5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So to answer the question, what is baptism? One aspect of baptism is we are identifying our union with the life of Jesus. And so we will baptize these brothers in the name of Christ. And then we will say, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, declaring this new life that they have with Christ. So it identifies our union with Christ, but Baptism also identifies our union with the life of the church. Turn to 1 Corinthians 12. If you're there in Acts, just go a couple books to the right. 1 Corinthians 12. And Paul's writing there to the church at Corinth, and he's addressing uh, the larger picture of the church, but he helps us understand a little bit about baptism and baptism and identifying with the church. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12. For just as the body is one... And has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all, there's the word, baptized into one body. Jews, Greeks, slaves, free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So 1 Corinthians 12. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Go a couple more books to the right. Come to Galatians, Ephesians, get to Philippians, you've gone too far. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. Paul writing to a local church here, the church at Ephesus. Ephesians 4, 4, he says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father over all, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so in baptism, what we are doing is we are declaring that we are united with Christ, and we're also declaring we're united with His body. 
And so that's why in several letters that Paul writes to the churches, uh, in, in, Peter, in 1 Peter, Peter refers to baptism in the context of the local church. And so we're identifying our union with the life of the church. Through baptism, we are declaring that we are united with the body of Christ. We declare to the world that we no longer belong to ourselves, but we now belong to Christ and to His church. That baptism... Though an individual act, like only one person is doing this, unlike the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper is a communal act, right? But baptism is an individual act, but it's an individual act in the context of community. So we're going to go out here in the parking lot in just a minute, and we're going to all stand around, and we're going to watch two brothers be immersed into the water and come out of the water. And as a community, we're going to be celebrating new life in Christ through that. Not the new life that happens as they're immersed and come out, but new life that they are declaring that has already happened through this immersion and coming out of the water. And so what is baptism? Another statement here is baptism demonstrates the gospel of Christ. So go back, go back to the left a couple books to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, baptism demonstrates the gospel of Christ. Baptism is a picture, is a visible demonstration of what God has done in us. A physical expression of what has happened in, in us spiritually. So Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 Paul writes to the church at Rome, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? And then here's an explanation, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. And so, the picture is pretty clear. These two brothers are going to walk up to this trough of water dry. Uh, just humor me. It's super simple. I get it, right? You're like, we understand how this thing works, Richard. They're going to walk up to this trough of water dry. They're going to sit down in that trough of water, and then they are going to be lowered down, and so into the water, fully immersed. So what was once dry is going to come out wet, indicating that their condition post-immersion, like after they've been lowered into the water, is incredibly different than their condition was before. And in that, we have a visible demonstration of what God has done for us in Christ. We come to God dead in sin. The picture is dry, right? The dry person. And by God's grace and for His glory, He brings us into His family and brings us to repentance and faith in Christ and buries us, using Paul's language here in Romans 6, 4, we're buried, therefore, into the death of Christ, and so when, when we lower people into the water, we're indicating you've been buried into the death of Christ. But that's not the end of the story. Because we don't leave them in the water. Right? We bring them back up. It's not just buried into the death of Christ, but we're now walking in the life of Christ. And so we have this physical demonstration, this physical picture, this reality of being immersed into the water, being raised out of the water, demonstrating that our lives have been made new with Christ and have been risen with Christ. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so what is baptism? Baptism is demonstrating that our lives have been changed by Christ. We are not who we once were. We are made new. Second question, why must we be baptized? Why must we be baptized? 
two specific reasons. We could give several, but we'll just we'll use two specific reasons, and both center around the work and words of Christ. First, we we're baptized to follow the example of Christ. So go back to Matthew chapter three with me. Matthew chapter three, following the the example of Christ. <clears throat> Matthew chapter three and verse thirteen. Uh, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, is out in the wilderness and calling people to repentance, and he's actually baptizing people in, in a baptism of repentance. And so Jesus comes to him, verse 13, Matthew three thirteen. Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Sounds really intentional on Jesus' part, right? This wasn't just some casual, oh, wait, John's over there? Let me just go do this thing. No, Matthew's recording. Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. So you get the picture. I mean, the Son of God comes up to John the baptizer and says, hey, what you're doing to everybody else, I need you to do to me. John the baptizer, the one preparing the way for the one who's coming to him, is kind of like, I think you have this backwards. This just seems incredibly out of order. I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way this works. And so... Thankfully, John doesn't continue the argument very long because the next phrase there in verse, uh, verse 15 is that then he consented, which is always just a good idea, right? When you're arguing with the Son of God, you just go with what he says. And so when Jesus was baptized, verse 16, immediately he went up, he went up from the water. So you get the picture. He's immersed in the water. He comes up out of the water. And what happens upon the moment of his baptism? Behold, the heavens were opened to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. This is... This is the moment when Jesus actually begins his public ministry. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So you see the Trinity here. You, you see the Holy Spirit. You see the, the Father speaking from heaven. And you see the Son in the act of baptism. So we're following the, the example of Christ. Jesus being baptized as our example reminds us that baptism doesn't bring salvation because Jesus did not need salvation. Right? Jesus is providing for us an example of what we are to follow. He's sinless. He doesn't need this act. He's not, he's not declaring that he's dead to self. Right? He, he's, he's the perfect son of God. He doesn't need salvation. He's providing for us uh, an, an example. So we, we have to be baptized to follow the example of Christ, but also further into Matthew at the end, Matthew 28, we are also baptized to obey the command of Christ. So we're following the example of Christ. We're also obeying the command of Christ. Remember what, what Peter said when, uh, when this crowd of 3,000 plus said, Brothers, what must we do? Peter says, Repent and be baptized. A command. And that's rooted in the great commission that Jesus gives to his followers at the end of Matthew's gospel. Matthew 28 and verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. A primary step of obedience for the Christian is baptism. You see, the New Testament knows nothing of a true believer that is not baptized. If you're a Jesus follower, if if you're a Christian and you've not been baptized, then according to what the Bible teaches, you're living contrary to what Scripture requires us to do to declare our new life in Christ. And so baptism is not an option. In our culture, we've really watered down the reality of, no pun intended, watered down the reality of baptism. It is is not an option. It's not a matter of convenience. It's not a matter of preference. 
Baptism is a non-negotiable for the Christian. And so we, we, we've kind of approached it as if it's a good idea, it's an extra, if we get to it. But for other cultures in the world, the culture that Stephen and Emily are going to be going to in a few weeks, the cultures that other people that we know work in, baptism is actually the difference maker for someone declaring new life in Christ. And for s- certain and large populations in the world, for someone to declare their new life in Christ in baptism is in essence signing a death warrant on their very lives. And so for us, it's like no big deal, right? I don't, I don't think you're under threat for your life today, Will or Jimmy. I mean, if you are, just let us know. We'll keep a heads up, right? But for the rest of the world, for mu- much of the world, there is a true count-the-cost reality in baptism. Because there is this vis- visible demonstration. So take, take like the Muslim world, for example. They've given their lives to Muhammad and Allah and this religious system, and they're giving, they've repented of that, placed faith in Christ, a totally different system, and to declare that new reality, they do that through baptism. So this is not something that our brothers and sisters who come from Muslim backgrounds take lightly, because it could very well cost them their lives. And so we want to, we want to remember that as we are baptizing and being baptized we're following the example of christ and we're obeying the command of christ so third question third question how should one be baptized how so we've asked what why now how how should one be baptized the biblical model of baptism is by immersion the word baptize the word baptize is not a a uh, a spiritual word uh, it's just a transliterated word in the New Testament that the English translators just like, I, we don't know how to say this any better, so instead of writing baptizo, we're going to write baptize. We're just going to Englishize the word from the original language. And, but the word means to dip, to immerse, to submerge, to uh, dunk, uh, going completely under. And so there are three biblical reasons why we immerse. And it's not just because we call ourselves Baptist. All right, so let's, let's be clear here. One, we see it in Jesus' model. We looked at it in Matthew 3. Jesus came up out of the water. So John didn't like splash. They didn't have like a splash fest in the Jordan there. John actually lowered Jesus into the water. And when he came out of the water, the heavens opened up, the Spirit descended upon him, and God the Father spoke, uh, affirming him. And so immersion. You see it also in the uh, example of the early church, Acts 8.39. They went into the water and came out up out of the water where Philip... Uh, interacts with the Ethiopian guy and the guy is reading doesn't understand what he's reading and he asks Philip hey can you help me understand that and Philip's like as a matter of fact I can it's Jesus and the dude gets saved and then the next thing the guy says to Philip is hey so should I be baptized what prevents me there's water here's me here's you what prevents me and so 839 they went into the water and came up out of the water there's immersion but then there's also this gospel model that we talked about just a minute ago. That's the picture of Romans 6. How do we best physically demonstrate being buried with Jesus in his death and raised to walk in the newness of life? Not by spraying somebody down with a water hose. Not by pouring a bucket. I'm not, I'm not like throwing shade at other ways of baptism. Okay, Just, just hear me clearly. The, the best picture of new life in Christ is to immerse someone. And they're coming out completely different. And so we baptize by immersion. Next question, who should be baptized? This is a great question, glad you asked. Baptism is for believers only. 
Baptism is for believers only. Baptism is not for babies. It's not for young children before an age of understanding. Baptism is not some form of religious ritual that must be repeated or renewed. Baptism is for Christians. Baptism is for those that John chapter 3 calls born again. We see that in the 3,000 there at Pentecost when they say, Brothers, what what, what, what must we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins. And that day, 3,000 are baptized. The Ethiopian guy in Acts chapter 8, the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, we see that example there as well. They're all saved. Baptism is for Christians only. And so, who should be baptized? The person who has repented of their sin and placed faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. No one else. No one else. This isn't just a, hey, that looks pretty cool. That looks pretty fun. Everybody's proud of you. I want to do that. Right? This isn't just some other way we, we fulfill self, self-gratification. Right? But this is a declaration of the fact that I've repented of my sin and I've placed my faith in the saving work of Jesus Christ. So baptism, we call it believer's baptism for a reason. You may hear that phrase, believer's baptism. Um, and so we want, we want to be careful. We want to be careful when we're baptizing. We don't have to wait an incredibly long time, uh, as we'll see in just a second with a, another question. Uh, but we do want to be careful. Uh, so next question, number five, where should one be baptized? Where? Um, it can be on a sidewalk in a trough of water. It can be in a church building with uh, a typical baptistry. Um, but the bigger question here is, when possible, baptism happens in the context of the local church, just like the Lord's Supper. Baptism is an act of the church whereby baptizing someone, we are confirming new life in Christ. We are saying together, this dude is a brother. This gal is a sister, right? And so we're all going to gather around this uh, trough of water in just a few minutes. And one person is going to lower the baptizee into the water. But everybody else is standing there as an act of affirmation that we're saying, no, this is legit. This is the real deal. And so baptism in the context of the local church is the way the church belong, is the way the church affirms that someone belongs to the new covenant community. And so as we are baptizing, as we are baptizing today, we are saying, yes, he or she is part of the redeemed fellowship. They're one of us, and we are one in Christ. And Paul refers to baptism in his letters to the churches, specifically Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians, reminding us of the primacy of the local church in baptism. Now, to be clear, the church does not have the power or the authority to grant salvation. It's it's not the church that gives you salvation, it's Christ alone. The church doesn't grant salvation, but we do, according to Scripture, confirm and rejoice in salvation. And so as as we baptize people, we say, this is a good thing. This is a good reality. And so with, with nods of affirmation and rejoicing hearts, we, we, we can clap. We can, we can yell praises to the Lord. We can respond however appropriate. Now, there are exceptions, just, there are exceptions in, in, in frontier areas. So you may be thinking, well, what about where there is no church? Like where these guys are going just a couple weeks. There is no gathered church to, together there. You see the exception like in Acts chapter 8 where... Philip engages this uh, African guy, and there is no gathered church, and he's like, hey, let's do this thing right here. And so unreached mission fields in the world would be an exception, but these are the exception. The general rule of the local church, uh, of baptism, is that it happens in the context of the local church. Now, we're all coming. We're a new church, okay? Let's, I mean, just to be clear, right? We're a couple years into this thing. So 
we've all been baptized in other contexts, other situations. And so we have to search the scriptures and see where that lies. Is it post-conversion? Were you a believer at the moment of salvation? All right. Uh, at the moment, were you believe? Yeah, of course you were. Were you a believer at the moment of baptism? Right? Were you a believer at the moment of baptism? And then we can ask some other diagnostic questions just to confirm that reality. All right? The goal is not to make all of us question our baptism experience. Right? The goal is to remind us of what our baptism experience points to. That's, that's the desire. So, uh, last question. When should, when should someone be baptized? When should be, someone be baptized? A person should be baptized according to what Scripture teaches, just the practice of Scripture as soon as possible as he, is, he or she can publicly proclaim that salvation. And so for some, that's quick. For others, that may take some time. So, unfortunately, like if you're like, no, I need to know exactly, like steps one, two, three, it don't work like that. That's, that's not how this thing happens. It's, it's, as with other things in the church, it's situational. But the New Testament pattern points to a brief time between salvation and baptism, so there's no need to wait months, years, those kinds of things. We must, we must move toward the opportunity to baptize uh, new believers in Christ quickly. However, we need to remember that the biblical teaching points to the fact that baptism is for believers only. And so we don't just hear someone say, hey, I want to be baptized, and say, okay, cool, let's do it. Right? We're not, we're not going to say, uh, after these two brothers are baptized this morning, anybody else? And then, you know, I don't know you from Adam, and you say, hey, yeah, can you do me? Oh, yeah, come on, let's do this. Because it makes a mockery and a travesty of baptism as an ordinance of the local church. But it's incredibly dangerous for your life. For us to lead you to a point where you place assurance in some act rather than Christ, potentially. And so we want to make sure that people know Christ before they are baptized. Now, just a word about children, because that's kind of the question that, I mean, I'm a father of three, and a lot, I mean, you just hear the, the sounds of young life in the room. We know there's a lot of children in our context. Um, the church in the South historically has been and is quick to baptize children at any credible age that they would get saved. So we have events or different things, and um, we have we do things like, hey, walk the aisle, pray a prayer, and next week, in the next week, this same five-year-old, six-year-old, sometimes four-year-old, would be passing through the waters of baptism. And um, a child, or an adult for that matter, should be baptized at a point when they can, in their words, explain the gospel and explain how that gospel has changed their lives. And so the growth reality, as we've been made new in Christ, it takes some time for that reality to begin to sink in and to influence the way that we actually speak, which is driven by the way that we actually think and what we know. And so we want to be careful, especially with our children. And so for parents, for mamas and daddies, hey, it's okay for us to wait. It's okay for us to wait and to be wise about the point at which we say, hey, we're ready for our son, our daughter to be baptized but as that child grows in their faith as they grow in their understanding of the gospel and are growing in their ways to articulate and to speak to tell about that gospel then the question has to come back okay are we ready to baptize this child membership uh, a large part of church membership is that we've been guilty of unregenerate baptism we've been quick to to baptize 
And unregenerate baptism results in unregenerate church members. And we pass people through waters of baptism for whatever reason. We don't want to tell them no. We want to increase our numbers. We want to, quote, grow our church or whatever the motivation might be. And we end up doing a travesty to the, to the local church. Well, we end up doing a, a travesty to the person. To the person. So we want to be wise in how we handle baptism. We want to be careful. We don't want to just present baptism as if it's just an add-on. We want all of us to understand the church as we're witnessing and affirming, but also the person who, as they're being baptized, to realize, no, this is a really, really big deal. Because I'm telling everyone that I've been made new in Christ. So just a story to maybe help us understand, um, understand the reality of baptism, what it signifies. Um, October 28th, 2000. That date may not stick in your mind. But it's rather ingrained in mine. Uh, it's a day that, uh, by God's grace, my life changed forever. Um, so there I was, standing at the front of a church building that's actually no longer standing here in town. Some other folks were walking in and standing in certain places. One of these guys over here is one of those. Um, I'm sure there was a song playing going on there uh the mood shifted when a different song started playing and the back doors of the church building opened and there she was (laughs) this lady who on that day would become my wife and so we made some promises to god and to one another honestly most of whom most of which i don't remember (laughs) And at a certain point in that ceremony, she put a ring on my finger, this ring, and I put a ring on her finger. Hers was much more expensive. And so on that day, October 28th, 2000, we declared to the world that we belonged to one another. And we gave evidence of that marriage commitment by what we call the giving and receiving of rings. And so this ring that I wear indicates that I belong to only one woman, Elise. And so I identify with her and with no one else. Now, this ring is not necessary for me to be legally married. I can remove it, maybe, and put it in my pocket, and I'm no less married. Right? You, you recognize that. But this ring indicates that I am married. Why in the world would I not want the world to know that I belong to this lady? And that she, in turn, belongs to me. I'm hers. She and mine. She is mine. In the same way, but in a greater way, a deeper way, the marriage relationship gives a picture of Christ's relationship with his church, right? As the bride of Christ. And so, in this same way, and in this greater way, baptism declares to the world that we belong to Christ and to his church. And so, through baptism, we declare that our old life is dead and that we've been forgiven of sins. And we, de- we declare to the world that we have new life in Christ and that we belong to the covenant community of the church. And so th- baptism is this symbolic reality that points to something incredibly deeper. This ring that's on my finger, it's made of metal. One day it's going to burn. Right? This, this too shall pass away. But this covenant relationship remains. What this ring signifies is a gazillion times deeper than this ring. 
The same with baptism. Right? Christ gave to the church this demonstration, this portrayal of His work of redemption. And so we have the privilege as the church to celebrate those who have been made new, those who have repented of their sin and placed faith and trust in Christ. And we do that by baptism. And so, two questions, and then we'll sing, and then we'll move outdoors to baptize these brothers. One, first, do you know Christ? I don't care if you're baptized or not. A lot of, our, a lot of the stories in this room, I've heard several of them, are, I was baptized at this point, I was baptized at this age, I was baptized at this stage in life, but I didn't really know Christ. And it was through, as Will just shared just a minute ago, through some situations and some different things later in life that I came to realize, oh no, I need to actually repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. And so there's this post-baptism conversion. And so if that's your story, well then your post-baptism conversion means that you did not get baptized the first go-around. You simply passed through some water. Right? It was your best understanding in the moment, whatever the situation was. But the teaching of Scripture is, baptism is post-conversion. And so if your story is, I don't think I was saved before I was baptized, well then let's just have a conversation. Let's have lunch, let's sit down, have coffee, and just search the scriptures and ask the Lord, hey, what do we, what do, we do now? So, do you know the Lord? That's the second and follow-up question. Like, not, have you been baptized? Churches are full of people who are trusting in a physical act without any spiritual reality. Full of people who have passed through waters of baptism because that's what they were supposed to do to gain the approval of so-and-so or to get the affirmation of this person or that person or the church body or whatever without any spiritual reality of being redeemed by Christ. And if God in His grace has helped you to realize that this morning, then the one thing you need to do is not be baptized. You need to repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. You need to repent of your sin. Confess to Him that you've been trusting maybe in this act for your eternal security, for your life in Him. And He's, in His grace, shown you that this act is absolutely worthless outside of Christ. Repent and believe. Confess that belief to Him. And then we can talk about you declaring that life in Christ. And so as we're singing together as the covenant community, reflect on that reality. Do you know the Lord? Like, Do, do you actually know Christ. And if you don't, then as we're singing, just repent to Him and express belief. It's, there's no equation. It's not a formula. It's pretty simple. Repent and believe and express that to Him.